Everybody gets to play. Have you ever had someone say that to you when you were a little kid? Did you ever have a coach say that when you were a little kid? I grew up in Houston, Texas, and uh, there were two Curtises in my neighborhood. There was Big Curtis and there was Little Curtis, and I was Little Curtis. And needless to say, I usually got picked last for any type of game that we had going on. So if we were, we were gathering out at the field, um, you know how they always goes. The two guys are picking teams. I was always the last one to be picked. So whenever I heard everyone gets to play, that was always music to my ears. So everybody say it. All right. So, have you ever wondered if there's more to being Catholic than going to Mass on Sunday? Is there more to being Catholic than going to Mass on Sunday? I mean, Jesus didn't gather his disciples and say, so, did you make it to the synagogue this weekend? What did you think of the sermon? Don't get me wrong. I mean, going to Mass on Sunday is the highlight of our week, right? But is that what it means to be a disciple? Is that what it means to go to Mass on Sunday? Coffee and donuts afterwards. This is my mission. This is my identity, right? No, if you read the, um, if you're there at Mass, the last words that the priest will say He'll say, go forth, the Mass is ended. Or he might say, go and announce the gospel. Or go in peace, glorifying the Lord with your life. That two-letter word is common in every type of dismissal rite. Go, go, go. So when Jesus gathered his disciples, he gave them a mission and a purpose. He was saying, in essence, everyone gets to play. He said, go, proclaim the good news. Raise the dead. Cleanse lepers. Cast out demons. Make disciples. Baptize them. And the one who believes in me will do even greater works than these. The one who believes in me will do even greater works than these. It's a sharp contrast then. Yeah, I'm Catholic. I go to Mass on Sunday. The one who believes in me will do greater works than these. I have found that there are opportunities all around us We just need to have eyes to see. We need to be on the lookout. There's sick people all around us. There's people that need help that are all around us. You know people right here in this room tonight that need someone. Be on the lookout. Jesus wants to build his kingdom here in Dayton. The kingdom of God is present. He wants to build his kingdom here. So be on the lookout. What do I mean? 
One Sunday, I came to Mass, and a mother told me that her son was in the hospital. It was hard for her to tell me because he was an addict. He had been away from the church, and they found him passed out on the street. She said it's very serious. They're saying he could die tonight. His brain is swollen. He's in a coma. She says it's very serious. So this woman came up to me and told me this at Mass, after Mass. I could have said, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for him. That's what I usually say. But this time I said, you think I could come and see him? You think we could pray for him tonight at the hospital? And she said, yeah. So I went to the hospital that night, and I stood by his bed. And he had tubes in his mouth. He was comatose. He had scars and cuts on his face from the fall. And we prayed. And his mom came, and we just prayed. And we prayed for healing. We prayed for a miracle. This guy who had turned his back on Jesus, this guy who had turned his back on going to Mass on Sunday, we prayed. The next morning, the nurse called his mom. And she was emotional. And she said, um... I don't understand what's going on, but your son has woke up. And he says he wants to see you. He wants to see his mother. We don't understand what's going on. The doctors don't understand what's going on. And so she went to the hospital, and she talked to his son. And she said last night, she said this morning, he says, I just started pulling the tubes out. And I knew Jesus had given me a second chance. And I just wanted you here. Be on the lookout. You never know when someone's going to need you. Another story, a friend of mine, his name's Robert. He's a Christian friend of mine. He's not Catholic. And if you saw Robert on the street, you might not suspect he's a Christian. He rides a Harley. He's got a big beard. He's got tattoos all over his body. One day, he was looking for a place to park his big dually truck. And it's hard to find places to park your big dually truck. So he's looking for a place, and he finally finds a spot, and he's pulling his big dually truck in. And he notices that there's this homeless guy right there on the sidewalk. And uh, he just has a thought. Thought goes into his head. He just said, thinks, I'm supposed to talk to that homeless guy. So he walks over to the homeless guy, and he learned that this guy was a father and that he was looking for his daughter. And Robert said, you're looking for your daughter? And he said, yeah. And he said, well, how long have you been looking for your daughter? He said, 32 years. And he said, I've been homeless the last five years. And really, I'm, I'm about to give up. But I just heard 
the guys, the homeless guy saying this, I just heard that she's in Baltimore. Some people told me she's in Baltimore. But I've tried this before. I've gone to cities all over the country trying to find her, and it always turns up like a dead end. And so Robert thought, I'm going to Baltimore this Saturday. You want me to take you? And the homeless guy looks up and he says, you'd do that for me? He said, yeah, who knows? Maybe this is the time you'll find her. So long story short, a couple of days went by. Robert doesn't use Facebook. Robert doesn't use any social media, but his wife does. And he said um, he got his wife to look up on Facebook for this, this girl with this name. And he found a number of girls with this name. And his wife friended or messaged this woman on Facebook. And his wife said, I know this sounds really crazy, but um, my husband met this homeless guy who says he's a father of a girl with your name. Could you call me? And so um, the woman gave the wife the number, and they actually talked. And when they were talking, the, the girl said, I don't have a father. I don't know who this guy is, but my father died. He died a long time ago. I've never even seen him. So I don't know who this is, but it's not my father. So they left it at that, but they had her phone number. So Robert's driving to um, Baltimore, and he's got the homeless guy in the car. And he says, you know what? I'm going to call that girl. I, she, it's, it's her. I know it's her. So he calls her, and they start talking on the phone. And they go through the spill, all the, all the trying to details and so forth. And finally, she just says, he, Robert just says, would you just talk to this man? And so Robert hands the phone to the homeless guy. And Robert listens to the conversation going back and forth. And then he sees the homeless guy just weeping. It's her. It's her. So to make a long story short, they went to Baltimore. They met up at a, a restaurant. And after 32 years, father and daughter were reunited. Oh, did I tell you? It was Father's Day. When Robert had that thought, I think I'm supposed to talk to this homeless guy. He had no idea of the adventure that was in store for him. Everybody gets to play. Be on the lookout. You know someone who has just died. You know someone who just lost their job. You know someone who has been diagnosed with cancer. You know someone who doesn't have any friends. You know someone who is disabled. You know someone battling an addiction. Someone with PTSD. You know someone who is homeless. You know someone who is lonely. You know someone who is stressed out over a job. You know someone who has experienced a nasty divorce. You know someone who is looking for something but hasn't found it. You know someone that your pastor doesn't know. 
and that I don't know, but they know you. Call them, friend them, text them, ask them out for coffee, pray with them, whatever. Ask God what you can do. He'll tell you. Ask God what you can do. Some of these folks are just waiting for someone to come into their lives. Some of these folks are waiting for someone to be Jesus to them. So that's an overview of everyone gets to apply. My second point is called the Curtis Project. So I began by saying, have you ever wondered if there's more to being Catholic than going to Mass on Sunday? I've been a Catholic for 54 years. As a Catholic, I've spent most of my life seeing myself as a kind of a project. The Curtis Project largely consisted of me uh, making myself presentable to God so that I would be loved and accepted, that the Father would bless me and give me a happy life. That was the Curtis Project. It was good. If I followed the commandments, if I lived a life of chastity, if I went to mass and confession, if I would just morally persevere, I would be presentable to God and would ultimately be happy. Even though I didn't think much about it, I would ultimately, I think I would go to heaven. Purgatory? Are you kidding? I'm working my tail off. I'm going to go to heaven. That was the Curtis Project. He was going to make himself so darn good. Purgatory? I can't believe people actually say that. I can get myself to heaven. I can do, I can, I can, I can get there. And I have to say, with all this effort, I've collected a network of friends who think like me. They're in the Catholic Church. They think like me. I've been accepted by people in the church, by priests, and after 54 years, even at by a couple of bishops. So my, go my goals were largely make myself presentable to God, persevere in moral excellence, all to make myself presentable to God. I started the, Cur the Curtis Project back in 1987. And by the year 2007, I was starting to wonder if there was more to being Catholic than morally persevering. So what did I do? You probably can guess. I added the frequency of the sacraments. So instead of going to Mass on Sunday, I went every day. More Masses, more pilgrimages, more confessions, more retreats, more devotions, more, more. I just kept doing more. I entered a monastery for six years. I led a lay movement. I worked on big projects within the Catholic Church that exposed me to more people. And I did more things for my faith. Also, I could say, I'm a good person. God, I'm a good person. You should like me. You should bless me. See all that I do? Then my world, the Curtis Project, got shook. I lost my job. 
pastor let me go. I had never been let go before. I was 50 years old, and I was experiencing being let go for the first time. I was the guy who did everything well. How could this happen? But it was happening, and I couldn't do anything to stop it. I tried to convince, how can you be doing this? I mean, look at everything that I've done here. I was like, oh. It rocked my world. I had worked so hard to be a good person, to help other people, to be good persons. Why was I losing my job? Something was wrong. This couldn't be happening. Heck, I mean, the Curse Project had been a success. So why was I losing my job? It rocked my world. So I faced a new perspective. After having worked in the church for 25 years, I didn't have a job. I was angry. I was angry at God. I was angry at the pastor. I was angry at the church. I was angry at all the people that I thought were my friends who didn't even call me for three years. What is going on? This isn't supposed to happen. What am I going to do? It rocked my world. I hit bottom. After three years, I was at the absolute bottom. I was clinically depressed. But you know what? I continued to pray many hours a day. I went to daily mass. I went to confession often. I worked a temp job waiting for, uh, wait, just waiting for a door to open, a new opportunity. I tried to do a lot of jobs. I went on 80 interviews over three years, but nothing felt right. This was really becoming difficult. And in April of 2016, if I hadn't hit bottom, I was digging a hole to lay in. I was in New York, and I was talking to a friend about my situation. I had pulled over on the side of the road, and I was crying. I was sitting on the side of the freeway in my car, and I tell my friend, I need to see a priest, but I need to see someone, not any priest. I need to see a master, a master in the spiritual life. I have no time to waste. And I'm talking to a friend of mine, and I says, I know you know Monsignor Esif. He said, yeah. I need to see him. I said, I'm lost. I want to be dead. I was married. I am married. I have two kids. All I wanted to do was be dead. I'm lost. I've tried everything to get myself out of this. Nothing is working. Anything that you can think of, I did it. I went to psychiatrist. I went to psychologist. I went to priest. I frequented the sacraments. I prayed the rosary. I went to confession. 
I went on pilgrimages. I fasted. I made sacrifices. I did everything that you could possibly think of. Nothing was working. So my friend called me back after about two days. I was in New York. He said, Monsignor will see you. Oh, I didn't tell you. Monsignor was one of the spiritual directors to Mother Teresa. Monsignor was a, a protege of Padre Pio. He considered Padre Pio his spiritual father. Monsignor Esif is an exorcist. Bishops and priests call him from all over the world. He teaches other priests how to be exorcists. So when I came in to see Monsignor, I was at the end of my road. Monsignor is almost completely blind, but he met me at the door. He was at the door waiting for me to arrive. I drove three hours to see him. We walked in, and he said, can I get you something to eat? I said, no, Monsignor, I'm, I'm fine. I just need to talk to you. He says, well, I'd like to introduce you to the bishop. He's right over here. So I walked in, and the bishop was sitting there. And Monsignor said, Bishop, this is Curtis. Could you give him your blessing? Of course, of course. Are you a priest? No, Bishop. Oh, well, you're in good hands. And he gave me his blessing. And Monsignor and I walked down the hallway and we, we, we talked. We made small talk, but not really that much. I started to tell him about everything I was thinking about. And I walked into his room. He lived in this small room. He had his bed. He had his desk. He had a cross on the wall. He had a picture of Mother Teresa. He had a picture of the little flower, St. Therese. He had a picture of Padre Pio. And behind his chair was his casket. His casket was leaned up against the wall behind his chair. And so on that, I sat down. And I just began to pour out my soul to him. I didn't have time to make trivial talk. I went to the heart of the matter, and I poured out my soul to him. So Monsignor, after I talked for a while, he stood up. And he grabbed this cross, this crucifix, and he just began to walk around me. And he just began to pray over me. And I could hear him taking authority in Jesus' name over demonic spirits. I bind you, spirit of anxiety. In the name of Jesus, you must leave. I bind you, spirit of self-condemnation. I bind you. I silence you. I chain you to the foot of the cross. You may not torment this man any longer. I bind you, spirit of depression. I silence you. I chain you to the foot of the cross. You may not torment this soul any longer. And he went on and on and on. And I sat there. So he sat down, 
And he says, how do you feel? And I said, Monsignor, I'm not feeling anything right now. He said, that's okay. Then he said, Curtis, make your confession. What is your sin? I just sat there. I was like, well, Father, I could tell you. I mean, I've been to confession a lot. I can tell you all sorts of things I've confessed over the years. But you said, what is your sin? I don't know. I don't know. And he looked at me, and he said, you've never confessed self-reliance. You've never depended on God a day in your life. I didn't know self-reliance was a sin. I thought it was a virtue. We teach our children self-reliance. But at this stage in my life, it was a sin. It was a mortal sin. It was the Curtis Project. He said, are you a Pelagian? But basically, a Pelagian is someone who believes they can save themselves. So I confessed this sin to him. The sin he revealed to me. He read my soul. And when he told me my sin was self-reliance, it was like someone took a sword and just went right into my heart because I knew it was true. It was so true. And he was right. I had never depended on God a day in my life. But then it doesn't go away that quickly because as soon as I confessed the sin, I said to him, instead of feeling forgiven, I said, Monsignor, I don't know. It's weird. I don't feel contrite right now. I don't feel contrite, I said to him. And Monsignor at this point got this Padre Pio anger look on his face. Some of you know that Padre Pio could be pretty tough on their, his penitence. He told him how it was. And that's what Monsignor did to me right there at that moment. He said, contrite? Contrite. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? You are Jesus. You are Jesus. Yes, Monsignor said, you are Jesus. Was Monsignor saying, I am the second person of the Trinity? No. Monsignor's a theologian. He knows I'm not the second person of the Trinity. But what he was saying is that I am a son of the Father. I am the beloved son of the Father. At my baptism, this is what the priest said over me. If you're baptized, and I presume everyone in this room probably is, God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has freed you from sin given you a new birth by water in the Holy Spirit and welcomed you into his holy people. He, Father God, he now anoints you with chrism, a chrism of salvation. As Christ was anointed, priest, prophet, and king, so may you live always sharing everlasting life. 
who are anointed. As Jesus was anointed by the Father, so the Father is anointing you with chrism. You are priest, prophet, and king. Everything, yes, everything changed for me. I came to the awareness that I was made a member of God's kingdom, but not just a member, not just some worker, not just some slave. No, like Jesus, I am anointed priest, prophet, and king. He gave me a new identity at my baptism. I was to see myself as a son of the king, a son of the father, a son of God, a son of God. And the kingdom was mine, all of it. It was April 16th. Something changed in me that day. My whole worldview shifted. My next mass on April 17th was with Monsignor. It was just me and him and two other people. I cried. I cried during Mass. I've never cried at Mass. I cried. My second Mass, April 18th, I cried. I've never cried at Mass. I cried. My third Mass, April 19th, I cried. I've never cried at Mass, but I cried. I can't explain it, but Father God was changing me, changing the way I saw myself and how I understood my mission. All this time, I have been striving to make myself presentable. And I was already completely full. I was already completely whole. I was already his son. I had been living a lie as an Orthodox Catholic. I had been living a lie for most of my Catholic life. No more lies that I wasn't good enough. No more lies that I wasn't presentable. No more lies. I am a son of the Father. I am his beloved son with whom he is well pleased. So I ask you this question. Do you know who you are? Do you really know? You are Jesus. You are Jesus. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. Jesus died for you. God, Father, has forgiven you. You are called by a new name. Your name is Jesus. Some people say Christian. Your name is Jesus. I'm a new creation in Christ. The old Curtis Project has passed away. My third point, if you are Jesus... What's your mission? Well, let's look to Jesus. 
My food is to do the will of the Father and accomplish his work. I came not to do my own will, but the will of the Father. My food is to do the will of the Father. Can you say that, priests, prophets, and kings? My will is to do the will of the Father. What does that mission look like? Well, when Jesus summoned his disciples and gave them authority, has he given you authority? So when Jesus gathered his disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease, did he say some diseases? To cure every disease and every sickness. Did he say some sicknesses? In Luke, he says, the disciples, they set out bringing the good news. And what's the good news? That you are Jesus and that you have the power to transform the world. It's been given to you. In fact, the disciples, when they went out for the first time and cured people and healed people, and drove out demons and raised the dead. They came back and they bragged to Jesus. And you know what? This is before Pentecost. You've been given the Holy Spirit. God himself lives in you. So they set out bringing the good news and curing diseases everywhere. The kingdom of God has come near. What does the mission look like? Love one another. Forgive one another. Teach one another. Encourage one another. Help people who are hurting. You know someone. Pray over the sick to be healed. If you know someone who you just feel like they're just like me. Some of you, I presume, I know people in this room, saw me walking around for three years and wondered what's wrong with Curtis. I had um, two friends, my wife and a guy named Chris. Pray for one another. When they asked Jesus how to pray, he said, pray like this. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come on earth right now as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Well, how is that going to happen? Well, I've got all these Jesuses out there. What are they doing? Oh, they're at Coffee and Donuts. Don't get it wrong. Don't get me wrong. I love Coffee and Donuts. But what is coffee and donuts for? Coffee and donuts is for us all to kind of gather and be casual with one another. And when someone says, my husband's in the hospital, this is what we usually say. I'll pray for you. You know why we say that? Because we don't know what to do and we want to get away from the situation. That's what I did. I didn't know what to do. Until that day when I told that woman, can I come to the hospital? Let's pray with him. 
I had no idea. I had no idea what that prayer was going to do. None. I was walking blind. Walking blind. I didn't know what I was going to pray. I didn't know what I was going to see. Earth is supposed to look like the kingdom of God. It's supposed to look like heaven. It's here. It's our job. Okay, so now I'm going to end with some stories. There's a, a friend of mine. His name is Patrick Rice. He's more of an acquaintance. I don't know him really well. But if you Google his name, R-E-I-S, Patrick, Fearless, there was a documentary made on him and a friend of his. He's a young guy. He's your age. He'd be at Theology on Tap. And uh, I stumbled upon this documentary, and uh, Patrick prays with people. And sometimes when he prays with people, they get better. Patrick prays with people. Well, this woman, she made a documentary on him and a priest named Father Matthias, who also works with Patrick. And uh, uh, maybe a couple of months ago, I saw a video. He went down to uh, Jamaica, and he was doing a prayer ministry there. And um, he, somebody was filming him as he prayed with this guy who had um, one leg shorter than the other. And, you know, when someone has a leg that's shorter than the other, maybe somebody in here has a leg shorter than the other, it can cause problems. I mean, back problems. And So Patrick was, actually, Patrick wasn't praying. He was standing there while another guy was praying over him. I'm sure Patrick was praying, but he was standing there, and the other guy was laying hands on this guy, praying for him, for healing, for his leg to lengthen. And on the video, you can watch the leg lengthen. And I went, wow, that's pretty amazing. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And a friend of mine, you probably know him. He's a young adult. He could be here. Does anybody know Ryan Maley? Okay, so Ryan, so he's bringing a group of kids to Steubenville. I wasn't there, so I just saw the video. He brought these kids to Steubenville, and I, one night, I, I think a group of guys are praying with this young guy who has one leg shorter than the other. And the reason why Ryan is doing this, do you know why he's doing it? Because he saw the video of Patrick doing it. Hey, if Jesus can make this other guy's leg longer, let's pray over this guy. Maybe his leg will be longer. So they started praying over him, and this went on for a while. I heard it was, they actually were going to give up a couple of times, but they just kept praying. These kids were praying over this guy. And on the video, you can see it, this little guy, I think he goes to Alter High School. His leg grows right there before their eyes. So I've seen two videos of people's legs growing. So I thought, that's really interesting. So, um... One day, I, um, I was on the lookout. Uh, the secretary came to me and says, Curtis, we got this letter in the mail from a woman in Massachusetts. And um, she says she has a friend in our parish who hasn't been to Mass in five years. And she's a really good friend of hers, and she's worried about her. She's homebound. Nobody goes to see her. She talks to me on the phone in Massachusetts, but nobody goes to see her. And she's written this letter to the parish and says, would someone go see her? So the secretaries brought it to me, and I thought, well, I just started here. I mean, I'd just been here for a couple of weeks. 
But you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look her up in the directory, see she's in the directory. Sure enough, there's her picture. I thought, okay, I'll call her. So I called her. Oh, by the way, the woman that wrote the letter, she didn't want her to know that she wrote the parish. So I, I had to figure out a way to do this. So I, um, I called her and said, oh, hi, my name's Curtis. I'm new to the parish. I'm just I'm working at the parish. Um, I'm just trying to get acquainted with people. And uh, I just happened to stumble upon your name. I call you. Your name's Lois? She goes, yes. I said, uh, so how long have you been in the parish? Oh, I don't know, um, 40 years. Oh, wow. What mass do you go to? And she said, um, well, I, I haven't been to mass in a while. I haven't been to mass in like five years. Really? What's going on? Well, I'm, I can't get around. I'm, I'm stuck at home. My neighbors do my grocery shopping, and um, I'm, a, I'm at home. She says, but I go to Mass. She says, I've, I've got a, a VHS recording of a Mass. I don't have cable, but I have this VHS recording of the Mass, and I watch that. She's been watching the Mass, the same Mass, same homily, for five years. And she says, and then when it comes to communion, I make a... You make a spiritual communion? Yeah, yeah, I do that. Wow. I said, um, I'd like to come and meet you. She said, that'd be fine. I said, would you like me to bring you communion? Oh, would that be nice? What are you doing today? I'm free. I'm here. Okay, I'm coming. So I showed up at Lois's house. And yeah, she can't get around. It's it's really it's really bad. She shouldn't be in the house. And it's a tri-level house. And she doesn't have a bathroom on the first floor. I mean, it's amazing. So I I I bring her communion for a couple of weeks. And then one week we're sitting there and I had just watched the video of Ryan and this guy's leg growing. And I I, I wanted to sh- tell somebody about it. So I told Lois. I said, "Lois, you would never believe this." I watched this video, and this guy was praying in the name of Jesus for this man's leg to grow. I mean, one leg was shorter than the other, and right before your eyes, the leg grew. And she says, I believe it, just like that, no hesitation. I believe it. She says, I have a leg that's shorter than the other. She said, look. And I looked down at her feet, and there was a line, a line in the tiles, you know, and she had both her feet up against the line in the tiles, and she's sitting on a chair. And yeah, one leg was shorter than the other. So having watched the, the video with Patrick and having watched the video with Ryan, I don't know. I'm Jesus. So I thought, would you like to pray? Would you like to pray for your leg to lengthen? She said, yeah. Okay. So I stood up, I put my hand on her shoulder, and I said, in the name of Jesus, leg be healed, leg lengthen, bones lengthen, muscles lengthen, something's going on in my leg. Curtis, look at my leg, 15 seconds. Her leg grew right before us. I don't get this, but it, it happened. 
she came to my RCIA class. I had to go pick her up. It took about an hour to get her from her house to the RCIA class, and she told her story, her testimony. So I want to, um, I want to teach you. We don't do this as Catholics. We don't do it. We don't pray with people. We say, I'll pray for you. So I want to teach you. I want to just teach you something I was taught. Um, by Father Matthias, by Patrick, by Ryan, by other people who are deciding that, you know what? I'm just going to start being Jesus. And so when you come up to someone and, you, and they tell you they're in pain, ask them, when did the pain start? So like if it's a headache, they'll say, well, it just, it's just started this morning. Or, But they might say they might have fibromyalgia interview the person and ask them on a scale of 1 to 10 what's your pain at it's at a 10 okay I said can we pray sure and you can do two things two ways of praying the Catholic way to do it is this to make a petition say I ask you God I ask you Lord I ask you Jesus to bring healing here to this person to reduce the pain it could be as simple as that. It's a petition. Or you can, Jesus has given us authority over sicknesses, over the body, over nature. Jesus has given us that kind of authority. He walked on water. We have authority. We have authority over evil, demons. We have authority over sickness. And so you might do a command prayer. And a command prayer goes like this. In the name of Jesus, I command the pain that is in her mind right now, in her brain, this headache, this migraine, I command the pain to leave in the name of Jesus. Simple as that. Jesus, one time when he was healing a blind man, you, you know the story. He was healing a blind man, and he prayed over him, and he says, what do you see? He says, do you see? And he says, well, I, I do see people, but they look like trees walking. Do you remember the story? So what did Jesus do? This is Jesus. Let's pray again. Jesus prays again. What does he do? He, he prays over him again. By the way, this is the one where he puts saliva in his eyes. And um, he prays over him again. And he can see. So if Jesus can pray twice, I can pray at least three or four, five, 20, 100 times. And sometimes people are healed miraculously right there on the spot, like the woman with the leg, 15 seconds, it was done. And sometimes you pray for weeks, years, and all of a sudden they're better. By no explanation, they're better, but it took a while. Jesus always heals. He always heals. Sometimes miraculously, he always heals. And you're saying, anybody that comes to him, he will heal them. In the scriptures, he heals. You're saying, well, what about Nazareth? He didn't have anybody come to him. Just a few. Why would they go to him? He's from Nazareth. 
He just had a few come to him, and they were healed. So you do the interview. You ask them what their pain's at. You pray a command prayer or a petition prayer. You ask them just to receive. They don't have to do anything. They don't have to say prayers as you're doing it. Just receive. Sometimes pain is caused because they're, they're carrying something. They need to forgive somebody. They're carrying a grudge against somebody. They need to forgive. Or maybe they need to ask forgiveness for something. And so you might lead them in asking for forgiveness for something. Or you might, you know, something will come up. And they'll say, when did the pain start? Sometimes there's things that happen in our lives that cause things. Okay, so sometimes people have to ask for forgiveness for something. Sometimes they have to forgive someone to let it go, to forgive their dad, forgive their mom. And that can take years. So you interview, you pray, they receive. You might have to be persistent and pray a couple of times. Jesus did it twice with the blind guy. You might have to do it three or four times, five times. You might take an hour, like Ryan. He, they prayed with this kid for an hour, I think. And then you re-interview them. You ask them, what are you experiencing? Well, there's this warmth in my arm. When you're praying, there's this warmth, this tingling going down my arm. Well, what's the pain at? Well, it's like it's at, like at a five. It was at a 10, and it's at a five. Okay, let's pray some more. Let's keep praying. That's how you pray with people. You just step out. I'll leave with this missionary discipleship. A couple of weeks ago, I went out with um, some folks in uh, Greenville. And um, we were going to go out and pray with people. Just go to, we went to the supermarket, and uh, one person went to a restaurant. There was about 12 of us. And so we went to the super. I went to the supermarket. And I'll never forget this. It took a, not, uh, a Christian, a not Catholic, to teach me this. I said, how do you do this? I mean, how do you stand up? How do you come up to someone and offer to pray? They're going to think you're nuts. You know, you do it in love. People see it if you've got love on your face. <laughs> that you're not trying to do something to them. So I went up to this guy in the, in the grocery store, and I said, hey, um, the grocery manager said that we could come in the store, and um, we're with this ministry, and um, I just want to come up to you and ask you, how can I pray for you today? Can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? Do you know every single person? No, I had one person say no. That's okay. I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good, man. But everybody else said something. Can you pray for? My, can we pray for my family? Yeah, let's pray. Let's pray for your family right now. What's going on? Oh, my son's being rebellious. All right, let's pray. Just pray. One day. I was in Baltimore, and um, this guy uh, was walking, and he looked like something was wrong with him. You know, he was stumbling, and I was with a group of people, and I says, hey, how you doing, man? He says, I'm all right. 
I'm going to this festival. And uh, I said, hey, we're just out walking around today. How can we pray for you? And he said, um, well, this was the guy that had the migraine. We prayed with him for 15 minutes. And at the end of 15 minutes, he says, man, it is gone. Praise Jesus. He said that. So I'll close, but I'm done, and what we, we could end. Um, if anybody needs prayer tonight, I would prefer if you just looked across the table and you said, hey, how can I pray for you? And just let's just pray right now, here. Amen? Amen. How did you answer your vocation during the Curtis Project? How did identifying your self-reliance impact your marriage? Well, I didn't think, um, how did you answer the vocation question? Um, I mean, I thought I was following my vocation. I mean, I was, nothing that I was doing during, that, the, during the Curtis Project, in my eyes, was wrong. I, I, I think most um, people live their lives like that, honestly. Um, and if you've been, if you want to give your life over to God, you, um, I have to give it a little bit of background. I was self-reliant because um, I was for, it came about at, out of a trauma. Uh, my dad died when I was 10, and my mom lost her mind after he died. And... Um, so I was the oldest, and I had a younger brother that was three years younger than I. So this whole self-reliance thing developed in that period and just basically carried me through life. Um, it was my survival mechanism, which became a mortal sin later in life. Um, so I, I was a master at doing the Catholic stuff. Um, so, but it was all me. And so anybody looking at me in terms of discerning a vocation, people would say, well, why isn't he a priest? Or why isn't he? I was a master at it. So, um, but it was um, disfigured. It was, it, I was disfigured. I wasn't coming out of my identity as a, a son of the father. I was trying to please my father. I was trying to please him. I, I didn't know that I was already pleased. I was already beloved. How did it affect my marriage? Um, this was the hardest part in our, our married life. Um, we've been married for 20 years now. So those, the three years that I was going through this, two days before Monsignor prayed with me, my wife actually thought I was going to die. 
she was already kind of preparing herself. And I, I drove off, I drove out of the house and drove to New York City actually to do a, a good deed. I was going to visit someone who was sick, her mom, in the hospital. And uh, she thought, she didn't think I was coming back. In fact, I wrote a letter, I wrote a little note and put it on the mantle and I wrote to all my children to tell my, told my two children I love them. And um, and I wrote a letter t uh, to my wife. I didn't think I was coming back either. That's how bad off I was. And this was my last thing I was going to do. I was going to go and pray for my, my mother-in-law because she was kind of going through a similar thing in the hospital. So I felt like it was my, my, my mission. That's what I was supposed to do. So how did it affect my marriage? It was the hardest thing we have ever gone through in our marriage. But she stuck with me. And uh, yeah. How do I know if it's God's will Okay, wait a minute. I have some minor injuries. How do I know if it's God's will to have them, crosses to bear and offer up? Or should I pray for their healing? We are masters of this teaching. Catholics are masters at it. It's called redemptive suffering. Every suffering that I have... God's doing it to me. God's doing it to me. God's giving me this cross. So I'm offering it up. 50 years of that. 53 years of that. No, I didn't do it as an infant. But I did it for a long time. Um... I'm growing in this understanding. Um, Jesus never, never says to anyone, I want you to be sick. This is for, for God's greater glory. You don't find it in the scriptures. And I know the scriptures you're going to bring up right now. He says one time, take up your cross and follow me. A cross in the Gospels, a cross in the letters from, from in letters of Paul, is the cross that they bore for preaching the gospel. For preaching the gospel, for being Jesus in the world, they encountered crosses. But when Jesus saw someone who was sick and they came up to them, and they came up to him, he healed them. Jesus wants to heal. God wants to heal. Pope John Paul II wrote a document called The Christian Meaning of Suffering. And um, you can get more insight into the redemptive suffering. Obviously, there are souls, victim souls, 
Padre Pio. God allowed him to, God allowed him to truly be tested. I mean, you, re, you read the book of Job, and the, the devil that, uh, the serpent, or the, the devil that comes up to, is in the courts of heaven, by the way. The devil's in the courts of heaven, and says, and, and Job, and, and, and he's having a conversation with God. And uh, God says, okay, you can test him. Have you, God says, have you seen my servant Job, this righteous one, Job? And the devil says, oh, you, you give him to me. You give him to me, and I guarantee you, I'll get him to reject you. So, yeah, suffering's a part of the world. Sin's a part of the world. Sickness is a part of the world. Disease is a part of this fallen world. But Jesus came into this fallen world. And he wants to bring healing. He wants to save you from it. He wants to be glorified through it. There's never a healing without the proclamation of the gospel. So whenever someone is healed, the kingdom of God has arrived and they know it. They know it. I can't believe this happened to me. The kingdom of God is here. So how do I know if it's a cross? I would say this. Pray for healing. Have people pray for you for healing. Believe that Jesus wants to heal you. And just go on living your life. And if you, have, if you still have suffering, go. I'm trusting that Jesus wants to heal. I'd rather believe that Jesus wants to heal than Jesus, a good father, and Jesus wants to give me pain. Jesus did that. He did it. He took it all on. That's like saying God wants you to die. I want you to die. I want you to suffer. That doesn't sound like a good father to me. I don't know. It doesn't sound like Jesus. But God uses all things. And so someone asked... How does the initial act of relying on God rather than yourself work? When you have decided to rely solely on God, how do you act differently? We don't know how to do it. Okay, so this is how God uses all things. We think we're relying on God. I thought I was relying on God. God has to break us of ourselves. God allows us to be broken. For us to realize how much we need him. Is God willing, willing me, willing all of that that I went through? I think God was crying. It took an amazing priest who was very in tune with God, who had never met me before, had heard me talk for 30 minutes to speak right into my soul and name what was going on in me. He was in tune with God. I needed that priest to tell me that. Until he told me that, I would have gone on living my life the way I was living it, getting nowhere. So it, it is mystery. 
if you're asking me to give you the way to go about this, then you're being self-reliant because you want to figure it out. You want to know what you need to do. Just come to him. Just come to him with what your needs are. If you're sick, if you have an illness, come to him. If someone in, is in your life that is sick, as an illness, go to them. If someone needs encouragement, speak encouragement to them. Ask God, God, what can I say to this person? I think a lot of this, one of the things I'm learning too, is that God wants to speak to us. I think a lot of people go through life thinking God doesn't speak to us. So I got to figure this out on my own. I'm going to be self-reliant. I'm going to figure it out on my own. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to do everything the church tells me to do. I'm going to go to mass. I'm going to do all this. And because uh, God doesn't speak to me. Will of the Father? How are you going to figure that one out? He tells you. So after my experience with Monsignor, and I'm crying every day, I would call him. And Monsignor, I'm serious. He's on the phone all day. People are calling him from all over the world. And he's in prayer all day. He literally is in prayer all day, and people are calling him. So when I call him, I know I've got one minute. I've got one minute. I'm serious. And he's not rude about it. He's not. So I'll say, um, Monsignor, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do now. I don't know what to do. I mean, before I'd go, I've been on 80 interviews. I've been this, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. He says, um, Curtis, the future, the future doesn't exist. And the past doesn't exist. Only thing that exists right is right now. So what is God telling you to do right now? And so I went. Well, I was going to, um, after Mass, I was going to go and uh, I was going to go to work. I got this temp job. I was going to go to work. I haven't been to work in a while. Do that. That's what God's calling you to do. Okay. God, God speaks to us in the now. If you ask him right now, we're going to do it right now. We're going to do a practicum right now, Okay. I want you to, um, to close your eyes, and you're, we're going to ask God a question. And I want you, if you've got a pen and a paper, I want you to write down the first, first word that comes to your mind. And then the second question, write down a sentence, or just remember it. So here, let's pray. First word that pops into your mind. Father, do you love me? What popped into your mind?
That word that popped into your mind is God speaking to you. Father, what do you think of me? I heard you are my beloved son. I would encourage you to write it down because a lot of times when we pray, we just start turning things over in our head. God says something to us, but then we just start turning it over and we start going over here and going over there. Ask a question, he'll speak to you immediately. I just did this recently. I said, Father, am I supposed to quit this job? I was working at a parish, but it was part-time. Father, am I, and I didn't want to quit. Father, am I supposed to quit this job? Yes. Okay. Um, why? Because the parish is going to close. Okay. Should I apply for this job over at um, Precious Blood? Yes. Okay. I did it. I'd been on 80 interviews, but I got the job at Precious Blood. It's really pretty simple. God does speak to us. He wants to speak to us. Those who come to him, he will speak to you. He, speak to, he speaks to us in his word. The word became flesh. So when God speaks to you, he speaks to you in a word. What is a word? It is a thought. I wrestled with this for a long time during the three years because I was battling with the devil and I couldn't figure out if the devil could put a thought in my mind. Yes. He's pure spirit. He doesn't have a body, so he doesn't have a tongue to say a word to you. He's pure spirit, pure thought. So instantaneously, he will, he will tempt you. Or he'll have you see something. Or he'll have you, he knows exactly how you're going to respond. So it took me a long time to figure out that I had an enemy that was working in my mind. God speaks to us in the same way, with a word. See, the devil always mimics God. He always mimics God. So God... Get, the word becomes flesh so that we can see it. We see the word in flesh, but God speaks to us in word. And so we ask him and expect him to answer. He wants to answer you. But most of the time, we don't want to know what he's saying. Honestly, I didn't want to know what he was saying. I had it all figured out. I was self-reliant. I had it all figured out. And everybody thought I had it all figured out. So I say the way you combat the self-reliance and relying on God is by 
is by wanting to know what, he's, what he wants of you and asking him and listening. And you have to form your mind in how God speaks. How do you form your mind in how God speaks? You read the scriptures. So when you hear God speak, you go, that sounds like the way God speaks. Yeah, that sounds like him. And then if you, um, if you have questions about something that you heard, go up to somebody you trust, someone else who is reading the word and praying, and say, you know what? I got this sense that God is saying this to me. How does that strike you? Does that sound like God? And they'll say, yeah, that kind of sounds like God. Or, I don't know. That sounds more like you talking to yourself. So that's how I battled the self-reliance, is to try to listen to God.